Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. I want to clear up some confusion right away. I uh, First, my name is Ryan, and second, um, <laughs> I did not create an AI that will uh, void people's insurance claims based on phrenology. I want to get that cleared up right off the top of the show. Oh, that's so weird because I did. Well, no, that's not true because I did. I, I created an AI that would approve people's insurance claims based on phrenology. How is how do you're this well, is, no, because 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 you know, I'm not going to reject people, but like, I just if people have the right skull shape, I'm going to say, Cool, you're approved, <laughs> and then everything else goes in the bucket and we work through it. But oh, just, I, I just I, I, I don't want to exclude anyone based on, on their skull shape, but I do think that we should be accepting people based on their skull shape. Yeah, no, that's cool. Also, talking with me is Luke right now. This is my co host, Luke. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to the show. Hi, welcome to the Content Minds. Uh, today we're going to be talking about geriatric millennials, and mm-hmm. a it's kind of an idea we've been circling around for the last couple of weeks, but I think we're really ready to dig in now. Which is this idea of like generational warfare content that is like pissing everybody off on the internet. But before we get there, Luke, how was the internet this week? Ooh, I mean, so I'm in a bit of a weird place with the internet this week because um, there was a very big internet day today. Uh, the last week, I feel, has been quite calm, relatively. The UK had a very big day on the internet today. I yeah, watched it this morning. That day. was crazy. With Dominic Cummings, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Dominic Cummings, uh, well-known, good lad, just a nice, friendly person who's never done anything wrong. Give us uh, a real quick, non-sarcastic <laughs> explainer for Americans of who this person is. Uh, Dominic Cummings is... Boris Johnson's Steve Bannon. Right. If Steve Bannon was still allowed at country clubs. Yes. And didn't look like he was the first man to get bitten in a zombie apocalypse. And actually, no, Dominic Cummings does kind of look like he was the first guy to get bitten in a zombie apocalypse. No, no. The, dif- the difference is, okay, Steve Bannon and Dominic Cummings would both be bitten during a zombie apocalypse. Steve Bannon would not tell anybody before it's too late, thus becoming a zombie and endangering people around him. Dominic Cummings would also not tell anyone it's too late, but he would actively try to hurt other people and con- convince everyone else that they were bit. He's like the more manipulative version. Well, the frustrating thing about Dominic Cummings, right, is that he is the more manipulative version, but he's also correct on like a lot of things. <laughs> like he's, Look, his- We've talked about this before. There are some things that Steve Bannon says where I'm like, yeah, it's kind of, you are seeing things clearly. I can give him that. His testimony today was that everyone involved in the government is in- deeply incompetent. Uh, which is correct. That is correct. The yeah. systems involved in the government are also not good at highlighting the people who are incompetent to stop them being incompetent. Uh, and the government fucked up repeatedly and let thousands, tens of thousands of people die in the UK that they didn't have to, all of which is true. Hmm. Um, so, you know, he makes some good points. Yeah, I watched that. I watched bits of the testimony play out on Twitter and it was very interesting because, like, I would like that moment in America, but we're probably never <laughs> going to get that moment where someone, it's kind of like the moment that like all boomers dream of, like the Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment where you're like, it's all fucked up and you've been right all along that it's fucked up. But you guys got that moment, which I'm kind of jealous about. We did, but we got it in the, in the way that the, we got the one person, the one person who said it is the <laughs> one person that everyone dislikes for different reasons. Right. Everyone, right. everyone who, on his side, who is on the Brexit side hates him now because he is saying that Britain is not amazing. And everyone on the Remain side hates him because he did Brexit. So everyone hates him and he's the only one telling the truth. It's a, it's a that's, fable. That's unfortunate. You know what yeah. I would like to do to the whole situation? Give it the old mega block. So you told me right before you started recording that you just <laughs> heard about this. What is mega block? Because I, I wrote so a little I, bit about this, but it's very interesting. I, I don't know when this happened or when I saw it, but it was it, no, I didn't know when I saw it. I saw it this week, but I don't know when I when it first happened. Once again, uh, you I, did I, not see it in my newsletter, garbage. Day. I do not read that. So you haven't gotten to that issue yet for the month. You sort of saved them all up to read at the end of the month. Sure. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it is a a principle that you block a tweet and then block every single person who liked the tweet. Right. 
And it's one of those things where I'm like, this actually would weirdly explain a lot, where you're just essentially creating kind of a wild, like a wildly aggressive uh, uh, filter bubble. Yeah, but it also, I think, speaks to the nature of how people use Twitter now, which is through coordinated uh, activity. It's kind of actually adds to a theory I've had kind of building in my head for a while, which is that like all internet activity now is coordinated and somewhat inauthentic because it's like being led by gangs. Like we don't have an internet of single people anymore. We have an internet of like tribes. And I think you need a thing like Megablock in a world where there are no single internet users. I mean, that makes sense. I, um, uh, there was a thing going on uh, the other week. Uh, Sorry, it's going to go back to football again. Okay. Uh, there was a there was a protest outside Arsenal. Everyone got mad, uh, and then someone noticed that a particular phrase was being reposted to everyone talking about it, being like, ah. "Actually, I support the owners." Which we both can look at that and be like, "That is a load of weird Twitter trolls doing this." But inevitably, every football reporter was like, "I'm outraged." Look, the the they're playing they're. Pl- they're the owner of this club is play- paying for trolls to annoy everyone into saying that they're a good owner of the club. I was like, obviously they're not doing that. They're a billionaire. They're not going to waste money paying for Twitter trolls. But also because this is kind of a thing that people do. You know, they, they, they teens basically do this and, and, and attempt to get whatever weird messages is picked up by reporters. Uh, and then immediately after this, I sort of tweeted this and then all of the all of the teens involved in it then started trolling me and being like, enjoy this ratio, bitch. And I was like, all right, fair did you get Did you get ratioed? I did not get ratioed. Um, I assume they realized that I was not uh, interesting enough and, and went and moved on. Uh, I mean, that's the ultimate way to not get ratioed is to just stay boring. That's... Yeah. Um, but so what's interesting about Megablock is that it was created by a group, a company, a collective called Gen Z Mafia, who operate a bit like that marketing firm Mischief, where they do like internet projects that are technically marketing projects that operate like drops, but Gen Z Mafia calls them launches as opposed okay. to drops. Um, so they've made uh, a bunch of different ones that are all sort of hard to explain. It's really weird because it's like, it's a marketing, I think it's a marketing firm. I don't actually, I, I'm, I'm actually not totally clear what Gen Z Mafia thinks of itself as other than like a thing that builds things i think that's the dream right surely well what's crazy is that like on the 20th of may they tweeted out a screenshot of like a a giant wall of an audio discord and it just said gzm founders pitching their projects and it's like well what are the projects and like sure i mean of course it's done in discord i don't know i I, it's it's an interesting idea where it's like what if a company wasn't a company but like built things that weren't things that are i don't i don't know man i don't know what it is (laughs) i mean none of this stuff has to be real it's just it's everyone going around the same process of of, and then coming up with a company that isn't a company but is also a collective that is also a co-op and somehow no one makes someone somehow no one makes any money except a small number of billionaires yeah, or like everyone makes a crap load of money and it, it resembles a pyramid scheme. Yes. That seems to be the two exactly. modes of capitalism for Gen Z at the moment. Pretty much. So I have a question for you. Okay. Who is Adrian Childs <laughs> and why do I keep seeing his face on my Twitter timeline? Particularly today, which was a screenshot of a Guardian article that was that reads, An ear and nostril waxing is exquisitely painful, but just what I needed. I was introduced to the joys of male. (laughs) 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 I was introduced to the joys of male hair removal by a man with a cutthroat razor in 1987. Then last weekend, I expanded my horizons. I need to understand. Help me understand. Okay. As with everything British that involves a British man, this actually kind of comes back to football. <laughs> okay. Basically, you know, he was a he was a journalist. He was a, a journalist for a while. He fronted a bunch of news shows, and was kind of a um, a little bit like he wasn't a, a totally like he wasn't doing a, a lot of reporting. He was doing more presenting on slightly more lifestyley things, slightly more featurey sort of things, um, which ended up with him getting the the become the host of Match of the Day Two, which is a Sunday show 
about football. Okay. Because most most football series on Saturday, that's when the serious people have their evening conversation. That's Gary Lineker. That's that's all them lot. And then the match of the day two on Sunday is is, is the uh, it's not for more casuals. Hard. It's for casuals. Yeah, n- not for casuals. It's it's for hard, it's for the equally hardcore people. But it's it's the more rambunctious. It's the it's the cheeky younger sibling of the of the main match of the day. Okay. <laughs> so he was so he was he was the main presenter of that, um, which was very much him him being a co- kind of a you know, just a, a friendly guy, like a very affable guy who talked about football, and he did a bunch of other stuff as well. He did the one show, which is I guess a an evening version of like Good Morning America, probably. Okay. But like his entire thing is that he is affable. He's just quite a nice guy. You uh-huh. don't have any particular opinions of him. He seems fine. Uh, then the Guardian gave him a column, which is kind of a work of genius because he 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 is affable. As a result, his column is about nothing. Right. And there's something really powerful about a column, a column being about nothing. That that was what would. We- confuse me because so you know for people for, for americans listening to this you might not sort of grasp this but british newspapers are full of junk like in a way that american newspapers except for the eye paper obviously except for the eye but american newspapers are kind of like extremely efficient even the worst ones are jammed with like information whereas british newspapers um kind of operate where like they're they're almost like magazines in certain parts, but then they're also like hard news in certain parts. So British columns are really like a a, a free for all in terms of what you could get. Yeah, and this column like by- you you have people with focuses like you have people who's like okay, my entire focus is I'm going to talk about the Labour Party or the Conservative Party or I'm going to talk about uh, 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 housing or whatever it is. And like a lot of them, are, like most columnists, are pretty good. And I I'm not going to say that Adrian Charles is bad because there is no one else who is better at coming up with the sort of columns that he'd come up with. But it is very much a, here's a thought that no one else has had. So, so I want to read a few of these because they're, they're almost, <laughs> they're almost like poetry. So, okay. So we have the, the most recent one, which is about the ear and nostril waxing. Then we have from April looking for a plastic free way to discard dog poo. I have the answer. It's not even thing is he writes by his dog like once a month. It's just a column about like, here's what's happening with my dog. And he's being paid money for this. Like, ah, oh, it's amazing. Uh, okay, we have birthdays are vastly improved by being in lockdown. My second is coming up. <laughs> yeah, his second birthday is too. <laughs> I mean, I think also what I really enjoy about this is that he has been writing this column for years now. He has written more than 200 columns for The Guardian. And they are all, you pick a random thing and... They're amazing. Here's a headline uh, for this column. You're never too old to climb a tree, and I should know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, he's not wrong. I mean... <laughs> wait, hang on, I've got another one. Wait, wait, I hold panic- on. No, I, got, I got one from September. Okay, okay. If dishwasher loading was a sport, my dad would be champion. <laughs> <laughs> not I'm even him, sure, his dad. I'm pretty sure it's just like a column about his dad. Loading the dishwasher. And this is in The Guardian. This is the paper that did Edward Snowden. <laughs> Hang on, hold on. I panic bought a dartboard. Turns out I'm a shockingly mediocre pa- player. <laughs> not even bad. He's not even bad. He's just mediocre. <laughs> it's um, well, no good. Bad would be boastful, you see. Wait, wait. I used to hate it when businesses got too chummy. Then I met Alan, the delivery driver. And I think it's... <laughs> I think, yeah, it's about him meeting and talking to his Amazon package delivery guy. Yeah, this is—he's an affable man. Like, and you know, he writes his writing is is fine. It's it's vaguely entertaining. It's not like he's like a gonna you know like win awards for the writing, but it's it's perfectly affable. It's the sort of thing where you know it's it's someone telling a really good story in like the three minutes before a meeting starts as everyone's like filing in the room. Yeah. Wait, we're, I don't want to do this too much because we're going to be doing some headline stuff later in the show. But I found one that is, it's unbelievable. Okay. It's my idea of happiness, a strimmer and a bramble choked path. I mean, he's got a good point. I, I took a lot of brambles down the other day. and, and it's, He's just talking about overgrown good. footpaths and how nice they are to walk on. Yeah. Wow. It's, I would, it's lovely. I would like this man's outlook on life. I, w- I would like to be this boring, I think. I think I would be happier. 
Yeah, almost definitely. All right, can I send you uh, the exact opposite of this? Yes. Uh, Matt. Yes. All right. We have finally, as of today, had announced when GB News is going to start. And uh, I'd like you to go down this this thread that I've sent you of all their new programs and like. Okay, so if I if I understand this correctly, GB News is going to be like the Fox News thing that's launching in the UK, correct? Yes, but it is still regulated by Ofcom, so it is still regulated. So they can't be Fox News. So it's just that they can't. They can still not do many of things that Fox News is allowed to do, like lie and be white yeah. na- and be white nationalists. Like you could openly. not be a white nationalist, or, or no more of a white nationalist than like the BBC already is. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, you said it, and you have until the end of the show to tell me to edit that out. Um, okay, so here, here we go. Uh, okay, so it says good news, Great Britain, GB News is coming. Eyes emoji, and then it has. Uh, Basically, like title cards for the shows. Yes. So the first one is the Great British Breakfast, which this has is the breakfast show. You see, yes, so it's, it's called the... the Great British Breakfast. That's correct. I get that. I under... and it would be like the Great British Bake Off, but for racists. I see. Okay. So it is a morning show. Most of the people look like deep fakes of British people. Okay. So far, so good. Then we have Brazier and Maroki. Which is, uh, this is actually a classic Fox business pairing where you have the old man and the hipper young woman. And that's like a very common thing for Fox business. So I'm assuming that's a business show. Then we have DiPario and Halligan. DiPerero and Halligan. They look like a law firm. Uh, that looks like a law firm. <laughs> she is actually a labor, an ex-labor MP. Oh, okay. They're going to do that. They're going to do the, like, I was on the left, but then I've seen the light, and here's my extremely misogynist male partner that's going to back me up on everything. I see. Okay. That's classic. Then we have McCoy and Phillips. McCoy looks like six different men's faces photoshopped together poorly, and Phillips looks... Like she just said something racist in a Tesco. Now, have have you noticed at this point that every single font is a different font, but they oh. all seem to be trying to have the same one? Not even just different fonts. A lot of these are different kernings even within the same fonts. Like it, it's it's typographically a complete nightmare to look at this. Uh, oh, yeah. and I should also point out that the backgrounds of all of these are different variations <laughs> of the British flag. I should I should point. I mean, that what out. is what what would you how would you describe the overall aesthetic of? of this channel. Uh, it looks like the official videos they play on the Heathrow Express to explain like how the train to the airport works. That's a good one. That sort of looks like how this looks. They this you know, okay, so we're going to keep going here. So then we have Dubes, that can't be what that is. Dubes and Co, her name is Dubes. Her name is her name is Michelle Dubry. Okay. Oh, oh, and she's posh, so they're going to call her Dubes. Yeah. Okay, so it's spelled D-E-W-B-S. Actually, no, I think it's the opposite. I think she's northern. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's going to be like a folksy kind yeah. of version of, of that. Okay. So Dubes looks... I mean, there's a woman that looks like this at every single British media outlet. Yeah. Short, blonde uh, hair, she, black room glasses. That's just... She got famous after being on The Apprentice. Sure. Perfect. Okay. So that's Dubes. Ah. And then we have... Born in a lab to be as horrible as possible, <laughs> Andrew Neal, who is a very complicated figure because I have seen his Ben Shapiro video, which is breathtaking in it's, how it's astonishing. If you've never seen this, and I'll play maybe a short little audio clip here for you. Why is it that a bill banning abortions after a woman has been pregnant for six weeks is not a return to the dark ages? What's your answer? My answer is something called science. Human life exists at conception. It ought to be protected. Now, back to my question to you. You purport to be an objective journalist. BBC purports to be an objective down-the-middle network. It obviously is not. It never has been. And you, as a journalist, are proceeding to call one side of the political aisle ignorant, barbaric, and sending us back to the dark ages. Why don't you just say that you're on the left? Uh, is this so hard for you? Why can't you just be honest? <laughs> Mr. Seriously, Shapiro, I, it's a serious question. Mr. Shapiro, if you only knew how ridiculous that statement is, you wouldn't have said it. The Andrew Neil ben Shapiro interview is... Unbelievable. Uh, Andrew Neal is a conservative. He owns The Spectator. Well, no, sorry, that's not true. He's the chairman of The Spectator and also now the chairman of GB News. And was on the BBC for a long time. He's just a very famous interviewer. He has also blocked me on Twitter. Oh, that's cool. I recently found out that Anderson Horowitz blocked me on Twitter. Oh, fun. I wonder if he mega blocked me or something. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Uh...
Then we have Tonight Live with Dan Wooten. I think the easiest thing to explain Dan Wooten, and we may need to bleep some of this for the like reasons of like libel, but the best way to explain Dan Wooten is here's what he's done. He has. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. And I, yeah. I'm and yeah, that's for, who he is. for your legal safety, I will not include any of that. Great, thanks. Then we have wow, there's a lot of shows they're launching. All of which look the same. All of which look the same yeah. and have somehow come up with this slightly wrong font. And the fonts it, kill me. These look like an algorithm made them. That's what it looks yes. like. Yes. We have Alistair Stewart and Friends. He looks like a vampire. And finally, we have Free Speech Nation, which ha- has a host that's not named, but he looks like the same vampire as the guy before, but just at a younger age. They look like the he, same guy. He is the guy who started the Titania uh, McGrath account. So he he was one of the original writers for Jonathan Pye. Oh, the guy you were kind of obsessed with for a while, the like fake journalist who made like weird Russian propaganda videos on Facebook. Yes, that guy. Yeah, no, he's one of the writers for that. Uh, but yeah, so in two weeks, we're going to have this channel launch and all of this wild nonsense happen. Um, so yeah, should be fun. Should be fun for us. I, I hear that ever since Fox News launched in America, it's been a much more stable place. Yeah, I mean, uh, this all looks great, and uh, congratulations on uh, your right-wing nightmare that will be playing Thank out you. on Thank your you. television. That sounds great. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I suspect that this will not last very long because I think Fox News even knows that if they can't go full tilt insane, that they just lose people. To the to, to prove that, um, I, I have a family member. Uh, who is very conservative, and he has lost interest with Fox News and is now watching <laughs> AON and Newsmax sometimes, uh, unless wow. I yell at him about it. And that's why he's asking me why Dr. Fauci founded the Wuhan virology lab that gave everybody COVID. That was a fun why, conversation why to have last night. So he personally funded the coronavirus. He paid for that to happen. That's true. Uh, hit, that, that Bill Gates gave Fauci money, and Fauci paid the Chinese <laughs> to make the coronavirus. So... Very cool stuff. Very good, normal stuff. All right. Can I send you one important celebratory tweet before we, we get moving? I, uh, I would love show. I would love that. I would love a nice little tweet okay. refresh, a little palate cleanser. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> okay. So I'll read this out. I'm not going to do it in the correct accent as it is from Ireland, and that would be offensive for many reasons. Northern Ireland. Yes. Uh, but probably it is uh, someone, someone tweeted, uh, uh, smashed my cell tonight and was told by the paramedics on Belfast's first alcohol and non-COVID related in, in injury requiring an ambulance in a year. Not funny, but also can't stop laughing. XX. And then it's a, fo- a blurry photo of her with blood running down her face, smiling very much. Yes. Uh, so I would say nature is healing. Uh, a, a, a woman in yep. Belfast sma- smashed her head drunk and had to get an ambulance. I feel like this is it. We're, we're, we're through, we're through the woods now. We're getting back. We're getting back to it. Feels good. Oh, man. Actually, I haven't even told you this yet. Uh, we went to the pub the other day. How was the pub? So, so, I'm not going to give the exact names of the pub because uh, it is the only place around me that doesn't take reservations. Like, you, you're not allowed to reserve. Wait, wait. Tell, um, tell we, me. I'll bleep wait. it. Tell me. I'll bleep okay, it. Okay, cool. It's the oh, I like. Okay, I like that one. But, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we have too many follow- we have too many listeners in North London. I'm not risking it. But <laughs> it doesn't uh it doesn't take reservations. So we were like, okay. Uh we had some friends coming in from like slightly out of out of London. So we're like, right, we'll we'll be there. We'll get post up early, we'll post up at midday, we'll get a table, wow, and then and we can go from there. Great. It's fine. But also we were like, Oh, that's great, because we won't get kicked off. You don't have to book in slots, so someone's not gonna rock up at two and be like, Hello, it's our slot now. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I haven't been to the pub in 14 months. Uh, we arrived at 12 and we left at half 10. I I crave so deep in my body an yeah. eight-hour pub post-up. I want that so bad. It was a ten-and-a-half-hour post-up. Oh, I did that math very post-up. wrong. I did that math yeah. very wrong. Ten hours, Luke, at a pub. That's yeah. unbelievable. It was great. It was amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> wow, I'm so happy for you. We couldn't we couldn't stand up and go to the bar to get drinks. We had to keep ordering them. And but whenever we ordered drinks, they they brought over two trays by, of the same drinks by accident. So you just kept getting double drinks. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the ten and a half hours of, of being in the in the pub. It was, it was special. Congratulations, man! You even look like Thank you've you. had you know you're kind of glowing <laughs> a little bit. So that's amazing. I'm refreshed.
as I said at the top of the show, we're talking about uh, something that's a little hard to define, but you know it when you see it, which is that when a thing on Twitter by a major news outlet comes across your feed and it's talking about like millennials and generations and all that kind of dumb shit, it just pisses you off really badly. Um, and the biggest purveyors of this kind of content are actually British newspapers, uh, sometimes British tabloids, but actually more broadly just the whole British media is kind of doing this. And they're doing it to Americans, which I think is really interesting. Like a lot of Americans don't really understand the meanings of different uh, British newspapers and how they align politically and what they stand for. And so they just appear on our feeds in English and they piss everybody off. So before we start, Luke wanted to to open with a game. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best at this. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out headlines. Okay. And Ryan, you're going to try and guess which outlet came up with this headline. Okay. Let's... I'm going to give you a little bit of context to it. So you know kind of like roughly where, where, we're, where it's coming from. Okay. So... Uh, going to open with, apparently geriatric millennials are a thing, comma, and I'm like, how dare you? And, and this is an American online outlet. This is an American outlet. Yeah. And I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. Teen Vogue. That is BuzzFeed. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't get that one. I was going to start with an easy one. I did not get that one. All right. Follow up. Uh, this is an American online and offline outlet. Okay. An American online offline outlet. Twitter outraged over offensive new label, Geriatric Millennials. Washington Post. Uh, New York Post. Okay. Really? Wow. I thought they'd go harder yeah. with that. All right. Yeah, I would have thought as well, but no, they, 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 kind, of, they kind of stuck with it pretty straight up. Wow, I'm zero All for right. two, baby. All right, let's keep going. This is a British online and offline outlet. Why are people being called Geriatric Millennials? Classic divide and rule. Oh, my God. Uh, online, offline outlet. Divide and rule. That's weird. Uh, I'm going to say The Spectator. It's The Guardian. Okay, that was going to be my second guess, but The Divide and Rule just seemed... Is it a, wait, is it a column in The Guardian? It is. Of course it's a column in The okay, Guardian. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because political strategies have always sought to put us all into boxes. Because if we're railing against one another, we're not directing our anger at the government. Oh, okay. That's very Guardian. Yeah, that's extremely Guardian. It's extremely Guardian. Uh, okay, what the hell is a geriatric millennial and how to find out if you're one? And this is a uh, international online outlet. International online outlet. Yeah, I actually don't. I don't know which country to to, to nail it down as. Well, that makes things weird right off the bat. Vice. Vice. Hey! All right. Nailed it. Got one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, new microgen just dropped. What are geriatric millennials? Okay, this has to be like the cut or Teen Vogue or something. Uh, this is Metro. Metro? That's way yeah. too hip for the Metro. It's very sassy for Metro. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it. about that. Good for them though. They're they're you know, they're beginning to use like newer lingo. Yeah. Okay. Um this is a fascinating one. So this is a British offline online outlet. What is a geriatric millennial? That's all that's all they wrote. That's the entire thing. The mirror. The Times. I wouldn't think the Times would even cover this. It's not about nope. trans people in bathrooms, so I just suspected they wouldn't even touch it. <laughs> Nope, that is that is the times. Wow, that's amazing. All right, one more. Uh, help, I'm a geriatric millennial, and this is a British online offline outlet. This is the Telegraph, isn't it? Nope, this is the Evening Standard. The evening, even the Evening Standard got in on this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to like to say that this was a very good example of how good and media savvy I am. I knew all of these and I got them all right. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I think it's an example of what we're going to kind of talk about with this, which is the kind of flattening of how these things are covered. Yeah, so I guess we should definitely we should definitely point out that this is not a new thing of like no. the Twitter thing becoming everything. But I do think that like five years ago, it would be a lot easier to tell who had written what. Absolutely, it would have been. I'm I'm shocked at how boring all of those were because I remember there was just like a real big arms race three or four years ago of different outlets and like the wildest frame they could do for the trending story of the day. Like when we first met, that was kind of what we would do at the pub is, which is very embarrassing to say, but we would just yeah. get hammered and try to figure out like the wildest ways to frame a story that everyone was talking about. But it, it also wasn't, it was, there was, I think there was an understanding that it was kind of like you, you basically overstated it, which actually would is what Buzzfeed did with this one, which was yeah. like, they kind of overstated it by giving it, like an unnecessary amount of, I don't want to say slang, because it's not quite what I mean, but vernacular maybe? Yeah. They made it super vernacular. Yeah, they tried to make it like feel like a tweet, I guess. 
But it's yeah. really strange. One, like the range of outlets that covered the geriatric millennial thing. And then it's also very strange, like how similar they all are. We should also probably define this. So let's let's talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So the yeah. the geriatric millennial story, I remember first seeing this like almost a month ago, but I feel like it came back somehow. Right. So so what happened was um, a writer whose specialism is is kind of I don't want to say office politics. I'm sorry, but like office management, that sort of thing, and, and HR said like wrote a, a wrote a piece that was basically saying, hey, there's a really useful generation of people as we're kind of doing this everyone coming back from work from home trying to figure out what the future looks like being getting what people mean when they want say there are advantages to being like in person offline and advantages to being online and it's this group of people who are born between uh, i think she said 82 and 87 it, might have been 81 86 it, it's 80 to 85 and it was published 85, okay. by a medium outlet called index in right. april and this and this is what she said, and and uh, you know she basically said like, hey, there's a generation of people who are millennials, but like slightly older, uh, who kind of can bridge the two gaps and like be really helpful in the situation, which makes like perfect sense. Fine, sure, agree. Uh, what I think it then happened was that you know it, it was read by you know a bunch of people who are interested in the future of the office, uh, and once both those people had read it, it kind of died. Right. Um, but it was then tweeted by Medium itself. Uh, which I assume on some sort of automated thing, uh, which included the geriatric millennial thing. A bunch of people got mad about it. A bunch of people like, dunked on it really aggressively. That led to the New York Post article being like, Embarrassingly, hate this. I tweeted about dunked this. Dunked on it. Did I, you dunk on it? I think I wrote, I will not be baited into dunking on this over and over again. <laughs> Except you were. I, I mean, thus, of course, by doing that, I did. Uh, the tweet from Medium was on May 14th, and it was, oh my God. It has 15,000 retweets and 2,000 <laughs> replies. So clearly it struck a chord. Wait, how, how many of those retweets are quote tweets? Uh, oh, yeah. Let's break this down. So, Lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 14,000 quote tweets. <laughs> 14,000. Okay, amazing. It's unbelievable. And obviously, like, it's not bait because it's actually like a pretty sober analysis of some like generational demography that might help us understand like what the future of work is, which is something that like older millennials are obsessed with right now. All the older millennials on Twitter who make over a hundred thousand dollars a year are saying that they're never going to work again, you know, and that working is over. So <laughs> this is kind of like perfect for them. Yeah. And I, 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 but what happened there was that she picked a, I, you can make the argument that it was a great name or make the argument it was a terrible name, but it was one of the two, possibly both. And by picking geriatric millennial rather than older millennial, or, or, or what's that stupid name? Uh, Zillennial. Zillennial. Well, no, Zillennial no, is no, the no. younger one. Exlennial. Exlennial. and Zillennial. I don't know. Right. So an ex, you could have picked Exlennial, you could have picked Elder Millennial, you could have picked Senior Millennial, any one of those things. But you picked geriatric millennial, I assume because you thought it was like a vaguely funny thing to say. And then suddenly everyone was extremely angry about being called geriatric, which obviously they weren't being called geriatric, which yeah. is the important thing to note. So she actually wrote a follow-up piece called Why I Call Myself a Geriatric Millennial and Why Our Microgeneration Matters. And in it, she says that she considered Zillennial, Elder Zillennial, and even the Oregon Trail generation, which like... Pfft, Okay, come on. That's stupid. It's no stupider than geriatric millennial. Yeah, it's extremely stupid. She go on she goes on to define it. She says that she takes pride in it, which like of course you say that after everyone gets mad at you on the internet. That's like the the the, the classic con. Hilariously though, she doesn't totally explain why it's the best. She just says, "I was lucky enough to become a mom through a geriatric pregnancy." Plus, I feel old, and more importantly, what's wrong with being old? The fact that it carries a negative connotation for so many of us ought to spark some reflection on how we view older members of our society. Okay, I'm going to call bullshit on this. You can't drop a term like geriatric millennial and be like, well, it's really interesting that you're all being upset about it because actually it really it reflects on how we treat our older people. And it's like, you chose the term geriatric. The oldest millennial is 40. Like, come on. I mean, I will say she makes an interesting point about the pregnancy thing. Sure. Because I believe the age is, uh, is 37 or 35, maybe. It's, it's after 35, like, yeah. Okay, after 35, right. So that's the point at which it's called a geriatric pe pregnancy. So like, there is something in the idea of like, 
that's also a bad name for that pregnancy, particularly given the like latest data on that. Um, I but, agree. I agree that that's bullshit. And like, I get that like maybe she wanted to define herself by that. And like, I'm, I don't have any problem with that, but I do sort of have a problem with the whole grift of like, I've pissed off the entire internet and really teaches us all a lesson, doesn't it? And it's like, okay. <laughs> but I think this is where it goes next though, which is that after she has done this thing, pissed off the internet, everyone's mad. Then suddenly it becomes a thing that everyone's talking about. And this is where it gets really interesting to me. Let's do like a quick little survey um, of where the term ended up. So if we type geriatric millennial into the news of Google, we've got The Guardian, we've got CNET, we've got Adweek, we've got BuzzFeed, we've got Vice, we've got Entrepreneur, we've got New York Post, we've got The Today Show, Huffington Post, CNET again? Is that different? No, okay, it's the same one twice. Wow, they really did well on Google then. Uh, uh, Junkie in Australia, we've got another medium publication. We've got The Evening Standard, The Times, The Telegraph. I mean, every website you could imagine. Metro, Yahoo News, Morning Brew, Grazia Daily, The Ringer. Everything's popping up with Geriatric Millennial, which seems wrong to me that the entire media ecosystem would cover one thing that isn't really even a thing. Yeah, this is where this is where it gets really tricky because we, I mean, the I did the same thing. Like we wrote a piece, and I, I headline was saying it's the latest meaningless generation, and yet I still feel left out, which I think is exactly what it gets to, because we talk about this a lot. But the entire thing is based around identity. Like it is people thinking that they have been assigned a new identity. Uh, or being mad that they've been signed a new identity against their will. Right. And that's kind of everything it comes down to. Like, the most powerful force on the internet and the most powerful force we've, we come across is the idea of the basically the in-group and the out-group. Uh, mm. And suddenly you're defined on an in-group you don't want to be on, which implies there's an out-group or an out-group you definitely don't want to be on. So it's like this constant fight. And all it is is finding a new, like, you are either in this group or out of this group, and now you have to have an opinion on it. Like, that's the entire thing. Yeah, I think that makes sense. If you think about, like, the modern landscape of digital media as, like, a FOMO factory. Yeah. That definitely makes sense to me where it's, like, everyone's talking about this thing on this website that, like, only a few people use. And we're going to treat it like it's a really big deal because you don't want to use that website because it's obnoxious or violent or whatever it is. And so we'll write it up and you're going to feel like you're missing out. And also, not only are you missing out, it's describing you. It's talking about you. Yeah. And that's like a, that is a very powerful motivator. And then there's the other issue where it's like, I mean, we've been in newsrooms, so I know how this works. Well, you know, the editor will say like, write it up. Why not? It's a Friday. You know, something like that. It's like toss it up. And then it starts doing really yeah. well on the live stats or whatever. And everyone has a great time with it. But at the same time, it does tend to – like viewed at the top like this, it, it starts to clog up the internet and it feels very toxic. Yeah, exactly. It's the – I mean also I think what's happened is that the, the kind of the, the, the timing has closed. Everyone has similar tools. Everyone knows – is looking at the similar things that are like signals of these accounts and stuff. And what I thought was really interesting was uh, I went back through the Google Trends data for this mm. about uh, – I went back through it on a – a national basis and so in america it spikes up on about the i think it was about the 16th okay. uh then in australia it's two days later because the internet's slower there that's you know still the, the the spiders in the in the cables i assume yeah spiders uh, in the cables yeah oh also the, it's uh because it was a weekend so so looking at looking at the the ones that i would look at for this is buzzfeed are probably buzzfeed and huffpo are probably going to be the first uh in in the u.s uh, and I believe that there's so that the tweet initially was on a Friday was on the was on the four, but it was on the 14th of, of May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both BuzzFeed and HuffPo got their first post up kind of responding to that, which are pretty much a roundup of like, here's what people are saying on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Uh, then Junkie got up in Australia on the 17th. Of so May. after so the three weekend. Days later. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They came back on the weekend and were like, okay, I, I see this. And I looked, at, I watched the spikes of this. And, and yeah, it spiked in the US and then it spiked in Australia immediately afterwards. And then I believe Metro was the first in the UK. Um, Which would make sense they, because like Australia comes in, they scoop up all the stuff from the weekend and then the UK wakes oh, up. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. The Metro was actually on, on the Saturday, on the 15th of May. 
Okay, it looks like some, sure some weekend first. weekend shift editor grabbed it. Very smart. I know people who've done that very job smart. before. Very smart. Yeah, um, and, but it didn't properly pick up in the UK in terms of like people talking about it and therefore people searching it until a few days later. Um, oh, here we go. Okay, right. Correction. Unilad got it on the 16th. Unilad got it on that Sunday. Okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah, and then the next day it spiked on search, which makes sense because that was probably the thing that, that pushed it over the edge. There's also a culture in the UK that like always pissed me off so bad and like it drove me insane, <laughs> which is there are these like very posh, well-to-do people in British media who seem cool to even older, posher people in British media by waiting until the next day to just tweet whatever Americans were talking about, like it's brand new. <laughs> and it drove me fucking insane. Because I was like, what is wrong with all of you? This is We can all see this. Twitter is public. Like, but and yet it would happen without fail. Every single there's there is a weird posh person in every British newsroom who is just looking at what Americans talk about, waiting a day, and then showing it to their boss. I guarantee you. Yeah, it is it is um actually no, I literally saw someone do it the other day. Like the oh god, and this is this is one of the things I'm gonna say, which is gonna it's it's such a ludicrous thing for it to be done with, but with the extremely good play by the I wanna say the Brooklyn Nets. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With the like behind the back, and it bounced off, and then someone like threw it off the backboard and, and dunked it. Right, and it was it was an amazing play, like one of those things you're like, wow, I don't really follow this sport, but this is amazing. And then the next day, like I saw like four or five British people be like, this is great, and I was like, none of you watched this. <laughs> yeah, like I can tell because you all just woke up at seven a.m. to fucking tweet it. It was at two a.m. Yeah, all of you wake up with your non chronological Twitter feeds, take whatever that is trending <laughs> with the your, the Americans you follow, and then send it out. Yeah, I guess. To, to, to jump back, now that we've sort of established where we are in this, what I think is really strange about the flattening effect that you mentioned is I wonder – so I don't work in a newsroom anymore. I'm sort of out in the wilderness, like eating nuts and <laughs> berries. You also now are sort of at a much like higher level institutionally than you were when we worked together. And so we both have very different viewpoints, I think, of like how the viral machine works, and that's kind of what we document with this podcast – but I wonder, like, what a consumer thinks of this. Like, what does the reader think about this? Because clearly you can't like your readers if you publish stuff about this, right? Like, you can't really respect them if you're like, here's the new thing that everyone's going to be pissed off about. Because I remember, like, thinking of, like, the traffic video game and thinking, like, okay, yeah, this will probably piss people off. But, like, what does the average user think when they go onto Google News and they see this stuff? Well, I think, for one, the average user doesn't go into Google News. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Like, I mean, this is part of it, but, you know, it's, it's kind of what, and I can kind of, I don't want to run through the full, like, details that we came up with what we were doing on, on Jarrett Jar Millennials, but it was certainly a, a thing that we were looking at, and we were more interested in the idea that, you know, okay, why is this a thing, not this is a thing? Right. And there's certainly kind of, uh, I mean, there's always been a thing in British newspapers where there's a kind of a, a trend piece. Um, you guys the love Times. a good trend piece. You love it. With the New York Times does it as kind of a you know a big feature thing but in the uk it's much more like i saw four people wearing this hat uh, and now i'm going to talk about this hat yeah and it's like sure great well done um but there, there, like, there is something to it like it is it is fun it's diversionary it means that a newspaper has a lot more to it than just like here are all the people who died in different countries in the world today right um which is you know what newspapers often are otherwise um and yeah. Oh God, it's so tricky to explain because I think, I think my take on the stuff is that it bugs me that it becomes, uh, it breaks out from the internet. Like I feel like this is the stuff that should stay there. That's what really frustrates me about it. That's interesting. So you, it's like when it starts to impact the real world, that's when it bothers you. Like when people take it seriously. Yeah, exactly. And like I can look at this stuff, and you can look at this stuff, and understand that you know we have all written. Uh, quizzes and identities and all these bits and pieces to explain like hey here's why you're actually an ambivert right and, uh, your, your, your masterpiece yeah <laughs> exactly my masterpiece and you know we, we we've come up with this stuff that gives people this identity that they have which means that they are part of an in-group or that they are part of an out-group that functions as an in-group and it's kind of a it has a lightly divisive element to it but it's then stuff like this which has become so industrialized and, I, you know, it's the kind of the stuff that we invented in a way yeah. to do the stuff way back in the day. Um, 
that now has become industrialized, everyone can do it. And it's it's not that I, oh God, it's not that it's bad inherently, it is as bad on this volume, which means that people end up with this thing where they don't totally realize that it's not they're being scammed exactly, but it's it's the same thing as like... It's like when you electrocute you read, rats after you feed them. Shh, I, okay, you're going to have to guide me on that one. Or like, okay, it's like... It's like when you like give rats like a heroin drip to make them do certain actions. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm It's like no, it's, it's like manipulating the it's like poking the reader and being like, "Hey, look at this thing. Do the thing that we want, which is to share it angrily." And we all know you're going to do it. So please do it for our thing and not the other one. But also no, I think it's, I think it, I don't think it's quite like that because thinking of it from the perspective of, of a reader, it's the I don't think you understand how cynical some of this stuff is. That's kind of where I come at it. And I think that, you know, most people would understand, like, American celebrity magazines are a really good example of this, where if you go and stand in, like, a, a, a grocery store in America, all the magazines are like, um, Princess Diana came back to life, and right. uh, Angelina Jolie was abducted by aliens. Bad, and it's all like, bad boy, yeah. Right, it's all completely wild. Where... I think that people don't necessarily understand because, you know, they, you kind of expect a certain degree of truth with tabloids and you understand by reading them roughly what you expect to be real and not real. Like, you understand if you read the transfer of rumours round up on the back page, it is, you know, 20% good solid sourcing, 60% uh, someone said it might be true and 40% just made up or 20% just made up, I can't remember my numbers. Um and you kind of understand contextually like where that's coming from. I think that's completely gone now. So people are like, oh, geriatric millennial, that's a thing. And many people understand that it's kind of not a thing and it's basically a horoscope. And many people don't. And it's this yeah. very weird thing where it's, yeah, it bleeds out from the internet in ways that I think we weren't totally prepared for. Yeah, I would agree with that. It actually reminds me of a Twitter thread that I've been searching for for many years, and I cannot find it. I don't know if it was a written piece. I I know that this was written down, and I think it was written by Max Reed, uh, who used to write for Sounds uh, right. New York Mag, but I and Gawker. But I, I have not been able to find it, and I don't know where it was, and it's driven me crazy for years. But this thing that I think was written by Max Reed argued that in a supermarket, you know good publications from bad publications because of how they look. So for instance, the New York Times or the London Times do not look like the New York Post or the Metro. They are different feels yeah. and and those papers know exactly what they're trying to do. Like the Sun or National Enquirer have an aesthetic that tells you immediately what that means. The problem with the internet- yeah, And it's different, in di it's different in different countries. Like for the most for part, the UK, though, yeah. you kind of know, like, that the sun – I mean, the sun has, like, bikini ladies in it. So, like, you kind of know. I think – sure, bikini ladies. I think the whole point is they're not wearing bikinis. Oh, do they go more than that? I can't remember now. Is there porn in the sun? It's not uh, – breasts are not porn, right? Okay. Either way. For Americans, they're terrifying. Um, so – you know what you're getting. Uh, a glossy celebrity magazine versus something that's like not glossy and is like a little more exploitative. Yeah. You kind of you know what that what that is. On the internet, though, it used to be like that until recently. And thanks to things like Twitter and Facebook, they flatten everything into a very similar aesthetic. So like Patriot Eagle dot info gun looks the exact same in the Facebook card as the Washington Post. And that has yeah, caused you, tremendous social upheaval <laughs> because people can't tell what's good or bad anymore. And you see this particularly in the US with uh, what's the what's the Washington one that's that's like all over the shop? Um, the Washingtonian or the Wash the Washingtonian? I think it's the Washingtonian, which, which I is, also thought was a real thing up until recently because it had there was something going on with it the other day, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this paper, and it wasn't. But you, 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 you saw it because they had correctly figured out that the online uh, – it's, it's maybe the Washington Times, I think? Oh, okay. No, the Washingtonian Israel. It's the Washington Times, I think, that looks like a real paper. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. The Washington Times, it, reliable reporting, the right opinion. It looks like the Washington Post, but it's not. And it has extremely wild stuff on it. Yeah, exactly. And and this is exactly where you end up with this, where you can't totally tell the context of where you arrive immediately. So you have to spend an awful long time kind of building up like brand recognition on it. Yeah. 
Because like most people, if they want, can make a website that looks just as good as a news website. One, because news websites aren't good. Even the nicest sure. ones aren't good. And also, yeah. most of them are viewed through platforms, which take you to B and C pages. So there's really no way to tell like quality on the internet. Yeah, essentially. And, and yeah, without that context, it means that this all this stuff ends up with people looking at geriatric millennials and being like, I assume that there is some sort of scientific study behind this. And it's not. Someone said it as a handy phrase. And for some reason, now a bunch of people think that's a thing that defines them. Also, on its own, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it's a very harmless version of this. It's also just hard to say. I've been having trouble saying it this entire episode. <laughs> geriatric millennial. The other problem with this is that at the same time that all websites are beginning to look the same, thus creating like the false sense of like legitimacy across all stories on the internet. Yeah. At the same time, a lot of outlets due to like financial reasons and other things like needing to get enough scale to uh, survive are publishing the same stuff and broadly with the same frames. So there really isn't much of a difference between a Vox headline, a Washington Post headline, a New York Times headline, a Vice headline. They're all kind of blurring together more so than they ever have in the past. Yeah, that's for sure true. And and you also get, you know, people who are now, you know, 19, 20, who are able to look at these headlines, having read them for the last decade, and just know what a good headline looks like. And they like, I've been thinking a lot about how people optimize stuff automatically. But this is an example of where they probably don't need to because it's just like they know what a headline is. It's fine. This is also where I start to feel like real weird pangs of guilt because when I was 22, 23, I had a real sort of like obsession and mission with like making internet publishing and journalism more fun and interesting and gonzo and strange. And you were part of, you were part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it does feel a lot like the beast has sort of been let loose in a way that like, I don't know where you go because now everything's really confusing and strange and like fundamentally like getting in the way of how people like understand the world around them. Um, yep. I don't, I don't know where you go from there. No, I mean, I know where we go from there. Where? What content have you consumed this week to stay safe? Wait, before, before we get to that, before we get to that, and, I'll, and the answer is Army of the Dead. But before we get to that, I do want to say, so The Telegraph has become particularly obsessed with generational warfare stories. They published like several stories about Chugi, and they obviously published a geriatric millennial story that did really well. And the thing with The Telegraph is that all of their content becomes Twitter moments. And I've written about this a bunch on Garbage Day, and I have had a few people message me that it is not a payola scheme. It is not like The Telegraph giving Twitter money for this. It is simply someone at Twitter really, really just wants to promote The Telegraph to the point where everyone on Twitter is begging Twitter to stop, which I think is sort of an interesting uh, example of where this might be headed, which is that users just simply are like, please get this news out of my feed. Like, I've already seen this, or I don't want this, or this is just making me angry. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't really understand why Twitter does the thing of promoting outlets in, in, in that right-hand side discover area. It, it seems, I don't know, unideal to me. I, I too wonder why, I, I, maybe this is getting really cynical, but I've, I've begun to wonder where it's just like, why do platforms even want news? Like, why do they want news outlets? <laughs> I get why news outlets want to be there because it's where people are. But like, why do platforms want it? Like, I mean, I will say that the only social platform I enjoy using is the Garbage Day Discord. <laughs> I also really enjoy it. There isn't much news, and when it is there, it's it's very minimal. Um, yeah, and everyone's mad about it. Everyone hates the news all the time. Yeah, we there's have no one there being. There's no one there being like, "Hey, this is really important." Actually, everyone's like, "I hate this." It's like, great, my people. We have a newsroom for news stuff, and everyone in there is just like, "This sucks," and I hate this, and which is the right attitude to have, you know? Yeah. To all news. Speaking of consuming content now. Luke, what content have you consumed to stay sane this week? I have really enjoyed the new Olivia Rodrigo album. It's very good. It's very, very it's good. It's really good. Like much better than I was expecting. I, I'm interested in how traditional it is and how like it's not a hyper pop album. It's like it makes me wonder if all the gener- like all the Gen Z music that we, like I've been tracking for the last year might just end up being like a flash in the pan and we might just stay with like the same sort of pop status quo we've had for a long time because it's like a very good pop album. It's a very good pop album. I think I think like an important thing is that, you know, when people get to like she is what, 18, 19. Yeah. Uh, and she is a like hardcore Swifty. 
Very. So she was like f- she was like five when the first Taylor Swift album came out. Right. So and like obviously she, uh, I believe actually there's this, there's an entire track on there which is basically uh, sampling a, a Taylor Swift track. Oh yeah, no, she loved Taylor Swift. Yeah, but it's that exact, exact thing where I'm like, oh no, this is the album that someone whose like primary influence was Taylor Swift, who I still kind of think of as a thing that young people like, even though statistically that's just wrong. She's our age. Yeah, she is. She is our age. She was born in the same year as both of us. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, because yeah. her album 1989 is actually kind of about us, if you think about it. Like, it's our story as much as it is hers. I mean, I don't know about that, but I as know geriatric that when we that, millennials. <laughs> when we were at that gig in in Hyde Park for her, and I went to the bar, and they were like, "Do you have ID?" And I was like, "I don't have ID." And they're like, "What year were you born?" And I was like, "1989." And uh, yeah, I got a drink. So, yes. Yeah, Luke and I went to see Taylor Swift together in Hyde Park. It was delightful. Uh, it was a really good concert. Yeah. Although I did like the part where all the British people in the audience started yelling at the jumbotron because it was playing Lena Dunham clips, and it was like begging <laughs> Lena Dunham to get off the screen, which I thought was pretty funny. I saw Army of the Dead this weekend. I watched the first 20 minutes of Army of the Dead. Uh, well, you saw the best part then. The opening credits are the best part. Oh, really? Movie. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Uh, it gets really weird. And I don't like it, but I enjoyed it for what it was, which was a way too long movie that was kind of poorly made about zombies. But it's really strange that we're still like treating Zack Snyder like a serious person. I think that's very strange. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's cool to have someone who is doing things like, hey, what if it was a heist movie with zombies? But it's not like, even like – it doesn't even really deliver – like that's just the other thing is it, he never delivers on what he's promising you. You know what? That is kind of his thing, isn't it? Like his idea where you can see the one sentence thing, I'm like, wow, that is great. And then you're watching like, that's not what you did. Exactly. Like there's not even an army in it. <laughs> no, well, the dead are the army. No, but you don't even, like you don't get that. You don't really get that. In fact, okay. the thi- I, I only found this out because I was watching a Red Letter Media review that was dropped in the Garbage Day Discord about Army of the Dead. But there's a whole plot line that was cut out of the movie, but is like heavily implied that the Army of the Dead, the titular Army of the Dead, is being created by taking non-zombied women and making them breed with zombies in the casino. Oh. And that like the head zombie, the, 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 the alpha zombie, is making an Army of the Dead via like assault. Of non-zombie uh-huh. women, which means that the entire premise of the movie is based on a thing that isn't even in the movie. If we're going to talk about Snyder not delivering what he's promising you, which is also a dumb, crazy idea that I don't want to see. No, I don't want to see it. It's awful. Like the, see, that's exactly it, isn't it? Is if you say a heist movie, but with zombies, I'm kind of like, cool. Cool. That's a, that's a fun thing. I've not seen that before. If you say the other bullshit you just said, I'm like, ah. I don't ever want to see that. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I'm tired of Zack Snyder. Although I do sort of feel like in, I, I'm working on an idea. I'm going to workshop this idea live right okay. now. Okay. I don't know how, but Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan to me are like equal and opposite forces in, in cinema right now. I'm going to sure, keep going. Why not? <laughs> that, no, that's all I've got. Oh, that's all you've got? Okay. That's my thought. That's my, that, that would be the thought that I had. Right. They're both kind I would of like, say I would say I would say that Zack Snyder and James Cameron are equal and opposite forces. I would I would say that too, but James Cameron just hasn't really been around in a while. Exactly. Zack Snyder won't go away. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh speaking of film, if you liked these thoughts that we just had about Army of the Dead, you might like the podcast we do for our Patreon patrons, which is called Post Post Credit Scene. And we're gonna head over there to do that right now. We're gonna be talking about Fate of the Furious, the eighth uh, and most recent of the mainline Fast and the Furious movies. Hold on, before we get into that, before we get into that, we should have a discussion about like, because there was a lot of discussion in the Discord this week about what movies, franchise we should do next. I saw this. I saw this. So. Can I just say like right up front, I don't want to do the Saw franchise. I know you don't like horror movies. I <laughs> love horror movies. It's my favorite kind of movie, but I also understand. I mean, the Saw franchise will be so interesting. Do you think it's just the same thing a lot? It's not. As far as I understand, they get I'm not crazier. It. They get crazier and crazier. Uh, I think it would be really interesting. Uh, I would also. I wouldn't be opposed to trying a Discord poll. I. This seems high risk. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I. 
the thing is, if there were three Saw movies, I'd be like, fine, I can watch three Saw movies. I really don't want to spend like four and a half months of my life <laughs> every two weeks having to watch another Saw movie. I get it. I, I get it. To, I just don't want to do that. I get it. Okay. But. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're going to do a vote and ruin my life. All right. Okay. Well, we're, we're, we've, got, we've got a few more weeks to really settle this. But I'm thinking it should be a Discord vote. I think we should have everyone pull all of their ideas in, and then we should just see what happens. With it, with, and we could also say that we'll veto it if we don't want to do it. Okay, cool. I'm into that. But I think that that might be interesting. But we'll, we'll, like, if it's really stupid, we won't veto it. But like, I want a really stupid one. Yeah, like, I mean, because I don't know what people would pick if it was like the Spider-Man movies, the Matrix, the American Pie movies, which oh boy, or. <laughs> Or the soft franchise. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of different ways that could go. I'm trying to think of the other ones that have been kicked around. Uh, Lord of the Rings was. You know, um, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. Th- uh, this is why it was suggested. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was suggested. Uh, my thing was if it was like, but okay, but they were all made at the same time. Like, I like the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, but, but there, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, franchise drift. Unless we also did the Hobbit movies, which are genuinely awful. Yeah, but then that's six movies. That's a lot of movies. Um, Someone suggested, which I really like the idea of, is the Mad Max cycle. Honestly, I would, I would love that. Yeah. I would truly that is love that. Interesting. That, that would is, be that is, so interesting. And Furiosa is coming. That is the one that really jumped out to me. Is like, oh, we should, we should get into that. That is a good idea. Oh, I'm really into that actually. Okay. Furious is, uh, Furious is 2023. Okay. Yeah, yeah we can true. do this now. <laughs> but, I mean, we can do it and just come back to it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep talking about this. But in the okay. meantime, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. talk about Fate and the Furious. Let's do it. <laughs> 